0: Uh, We are bouncing around a little bit ordinarily. I like to stick in a book. I I know that uh, some folks would rather me bounce around. Um, The reason, I want to say this, the reason I think it's good to stick in a book uh, is like when you read a a story, when you read a a narrative, um, you generally start at the beginning and you read your way through to the end and that's how the story makes sense and that's what the Bible is. It's not a bunch of isolated uh, examples or stories or commands. Those things fit into one big story about God rescuing the world and and winning us back to himself. And so uh, when we land in a place, I generally like to move through for a number of weeks at a time. Uh, But I I do like to take breaks. And so we're doing that now with a study of the Holy Spirit. And um, we've got one screen here, so I'll turn that direction. Uh, But you'll see the text behind me, um, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 18 only, Um, just verse 18. But we're going to read 15 through 21. And so, if we could pull that text up, we'll go ahead and pull that up. Let's read that together, and then we will pray. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, says, Pay careful attention then to how you live. That's pretty tough right there, isn't it? I mean, I could stop there. (laughs) Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Let me read that again. But be filled by the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would take this text, just this one command we find in the second half of, of one verse. And although it's a small part of the verse and a small part of the book of Ephesians and a very small part, part of, of your word. I pray that you would instruct our hearts this morning. Help us to feast, to truly feast on the meat that is contained in these few short and simple words. Help us to understand what you are trying to say to us through the Holy Spirit so we can be filled by the Spirit so we can stop living half-effort, half-hearted Christian lives and we can live the way you designed us and purpose us to live by being filled with your Spirit. Help us to understand today what that is not and what that truly is so that we can apply this idea to our marriages, to our parent-child relationships or grandparent-child relationships, to our workplace relationships, and even to the lost world around us, Father, lead us and guide us by your Spirit into your truth because your Word is truth. We love you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of my sermon this morning is Something's Missing. Something's Missing from Ephesians 5.18. How many of you are aware that in just a few short weeks, Christmas time will be here? Is anybody playing Christmas music? I'm not. I can't stand Christmas music until the day after Thanksgiving. Don't turn it on my radio. I don't want to hear that. Um, But I'm excited about Christmas coming up. Anybody else excited about Christmas? Five of you? Good. Okay. I'm excited about Christmas, but not for the reasons that you probably think. A lot of people get excited about the presents or the get-togethers or the crazy Christmas movies, that's a whole sermon series in itself. A lot of fun, but that's not the thing I get excited about. For me, it's this stuff you're going to see behind me on the screen right here. It's not the Holy Spirit. Do we have that picture? Do we have that? Do we have that? We do not have that. Okay, so I'm going to describe to you, and you're going to pretend like you're seeing it on the screen here behind me. How many of you have heard of the dessert called Muddy Buddies? Okay, my family has. I'm going to explain why in just a moment. Uh, there's a lot of other names for these. Checks Mix, basically uh, slathered in chocolate and peanut butter and butter, uh, all the primary food groups, and, uh, and then covered with confectioner sugar. Um, that's at the top of the pyramid, in case you're wondering. And, and then dumped in a bag and just shaken up real good and spread out on this tray. Uh, I love Muddy buddies. My wife will testify to you. I love Muddy buddies. I don't know how many batches of those that Carrie makes. Now, why did I say Carrie makes? Because I tried to make them one time. Well, I've tried to make them a lot of times. And they never turned out quite like hers. But there was this one time that I left out a pretty important ingredient. You say, was it the chocolate? No. Was it the peanut butter? No. Was it the butter? No. Was it the Chex Mix? Thank the Lord. No. (laughs) Was it the confectioner's sugar? No. What did you leave out? The vanilla extract. How important is that little teaspoon of vanilla extract? Terribly important. So Carrie catches me about two-thirds of the way through this recipe, and she says, they taste okay, but something's missing. And I said, what is it? Well, did you put the chocolate? Yeah, did you put the peanut butter? Yeah, did you put the butter? Yeah, did you put everything? I put everything in. Did you put the vanilla extract in? No. No. Well, can I do it now? No. no. Well, let's just try it. So I take it and I dump it in there. And I dump it on top of the top layer in this gallon-sized bag. If you know anything about baking, they were done from the start. Not just because I was fixing them, but because I forgot to put the vanilla extract in there. So I shook them up real hard. All right? And about three of the Chex Mix had vanilla extract on them and were way too sweet to eat. The whole batch was ruined. I had to go to the store and buy more Chex Mix. And I did because I really wanted the Muddy Buddies. But I discovered how important that one ingredient was for that dessert. You could tell it that something was missing. Now... I talk to a lot of people about their spiritual journeys with Christ. I have a lot of conversations throughout the week at the school and in my office and and, uh, across town and, and different places with people about their journeys with Christ. And one thing I've come to understand, not just in their lives, but God has showed me in mine as well, is that something is missing. Something very, very important is missing. And I think it is this. There's a vast number of people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. They will tell you, I made a decision when I was eight years old down at the church altar on a Sunday morning. Or I went to BBS and I gave my life to Jesus Christ, accepted Him into my heart. They profess Him as Savior, but they never truly come to understand and apply what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 5. If you ask the average evangelical Christian, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? You're going to get a lot of hymn hawing and kind of drawing with your foot. You can't see me doing this, but I'm taking my foot and pretending to, to sort of shuffle and draw something in the dirt. Looking down. Or maybe some kind of half-cocked idea that's not really biblical, but it's something you experience growing up in a church setting somewhere. I can speak from personal experience in my own life. I don't know how many times I've quoted Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. And then as soon as I finish quoting that verse, what do I go off and do? Try to live the Christian life in my strength. And then I stumble and I fall and I blow it and I, I go to God. God, why am I struggling so? And as I study this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, I have come to understand that one of the key missing ingredients many times in my Christian life and likely in yours is we don't understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And if we do understand it, we don't know how to live it out and work it out in our Christian lives so that all of our relationships are affected by this relationship that God has with us where He fills us with His Spirit. So I want to say this. If there I'm going to I'm going to make a prayer request to you all this morning. If there's one thing that I would ask you to pray for me every day. I know it's not October anymore, okay? But if there's one thing that I would ask you to pray for me every single day is that I would seek the fresh anointing and the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Not getting resaved, I'm going to explain all that, but that the Holy Spirit would fill me so that I can be the husband and the dad and the pastor ...that God has called me to be. Without that, I will never be what God and who God has called me to be. It is truly the key to the Christian life. So, let me give you a little background on Ephesians chapter 5. At the start of verse 18, Paul makes a connection that you probably did not expect to hear. If you've not read this passage, um, and maybe you're new this morning or new to church, Paul makes a connection... At the start of verse 18, between something that has seemingly nothing to do with God or godliness or the Christian life. Look at verse 18. He says, don't get drunk with wine. And you're thinking, my goodness, Paul. Why are you connecting that to living life in the Holy Spirit? What is the connection? Well, you got to remember, Paul's not writing to P.G. Baptist Church in 2017. Paul originally was writing to Ephesian Christians living in the city of Ephesus. And their city was filled with pagan temples. Everywhere they went there were pagan temples worshiping the different gods and goddesses of their local area. And those worship practices, I'm going to put this in kind of G-rated language this morning since we have young ears in here. But they were filled with wild drunken parties and sensuality and, uh, and practices of the flesh we will say. And the goal in those temples was to get as drunk with wine as you could and engage in as much of the sensual activity as you could so you could get worked up into this ecstatic frenzy. And when you hit this level of ecstatic frenzy, that is how you communed with those gods and goddesses. And so when Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to that kind of reckless living... He's saying, don't be filled with something that controls you in a way that leads you away from God, but be filled with something instead that controls your life and leads you closer to the Father. They understood exactly what Paul was saying. Don't take part in the idolatry and flesh-filled practices of the pagan temples. Let the Holy Spirit of God fill you and lead you and guide you in your everyday life. So let's drill down deep here for a second. We're going to go back to grammar class. Let's dig into the the guts of this verse. The phrase is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled is the command Paul gives us. It is in the present passive imperative. You say, come on, man, that's too technical for a Sunday morning. My brain's not ready to lock back in on It's Monday morning. When I do that, hang with me. This is so important. The command is in the present passive imperative. Here's what that means. In the present, the command is for when? Today. I can't rely on a filling of the Holy Spirit that happened in my life last week. I can't rely on a filling of the Holy Spirit that happened at the convention a week ago in my life and God moved amazing in my life. I can't rely on a filling of the Holy Spirit that happened 5 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago at your VBS when you gave your life to Christ. If you feel like something is missing in your Christian life, and you say, man, I've, been, I've just been empty, and I've been struggling, and I've been leaking. You know why? It might be because you've been relying on a past filling, and you're trying to live off the fumes of the glory days gone by. God did not intend that. He tells us, be filled in the present. Second, it is a passive verb. The passive aspect of the verb is so important. Listen, it means this. It's not something you do. You don't fill yourself with the Spirit. The Spirit is alive in you, and God fills you up. The word plero means for the the air from the wind to fill up the sails of a ship and to move it along. And so who fills us with the Spirit? The Father. The Father fills us with the Spirit. It's completely something, listen, that we allow God to do. What are you saying, Josh? Here's what I'm saying. In your sanctification... In your journey with Christ, you must cooperate with the Father. You must submit yourself and yield yourself and surrender yourself over to the Holy Spirit every single day. One of my favorite examples comes from a man who is in heaven now, Dr. Adrian Rogers. And I think about this a lot, not every day. But he said every day of his life, he used to roll over on his back. I guess he slept on his stomach or his side, I don't know. He'd roll over on his back and he'd turn his palms up to the ceiling like this. And he would say, here I am, Lord. I'm yours. Fill me. Use me. Strengthen me. Guide me today. What did Adrian Rogers understand? He is weak in his flesh. I am weak in my flesh. You are weak in your flesh. We need a daily surrender to the Father and go to him. And don't think you can do it on your own. But offer yourself up to him and ask ask him to fill you so we receive it. And then third, it's an imperative. You say, what's an imperative? If I tell my child, go turn the light off. I think I said that 12 times before we came to church today. Go turn the light off. Go uh, vacuum your room. Go whatever. If I give an imperative, I'm giving a command. Notice something. This is not an option. But see, in the Christian life, we don't understand how to apply this teaching of being filled with the Spirit. And so we treat Paul's words here like an option. We treat Paul's words like a suggestion. Paul is not saying, hey, Josh. Hey, Truett. Hey, Emma. Hey, Bill. Hey, Bob. Listen, when you're having a tough day and you just need a little boost, you need a little help, you need a little pick-me-up, come, come to me and I'll fill you up. That's what I do in the mornings with my cup of coffee. Amen? That's caffeine. That's not the Holy Spirit. But see, listen, we, we, with our broken understanding of the Holy Spirit, we don't understand exactly what the Spirit does in our lives and how we are carried along by His strength. We only go to God, when we need a little boost, that's caffeine. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's where most of us miss it. We think this. We're supposed to come to Christ in faith. And we acknowledge our weakness. And we say, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. Save me today. And then what do we do? I'm good now, God. I got this. I'll see you. See you soon. You can't live the Christian life that way. If you walked in here this morning... And you're running on spiritual fumes. And you have not picked your Bible up in three days or seven days or one month. Or God forbid since last year at Thanksgiving. And you're wondering why do I feel so empty? Why do my prayers not feel like they're even making it to the ceiling? Why do I, when I sing in worship, it feels like the words come out empty. And my heart is not connecting with the heart of the Father. It might just be you need to stand under the fountain this morning. It might just be you need to come and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and allow Him to wash over you and rain on you and understand you don't live the Christian life on your own. You live it by His Spirit. John 15, 5. What does Jesus say? I'm the vine. You're the branches. Listen. The one who remains in me and I in Him produces much fruit because you can do nothing Apart from who? Christ. We can do nothing apart from Him. So God wants this for his, his believers, for His followers. This is the desire, His design that we lead lives, listen, that are filled and controlled and influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. He does not want you to run on your own. Now we've established that. Let's turn our attention to clarifying what it does not mean to be filled with the Spirit. There's some misconceptions out there. Because of church practices, or because of wrong teaching, or because of of, uh, TV theology. And we need to line these up with the Word of God and see what this says, and not what somebody says on a screen, and take their word for it. What does the Word of God say? What does being filled with the Spirit not mean? I'm taking these straight from John MacArthur's commentary. So good, go look this up. Number one, it is not some kind of dramatic, esoteric, ecstatic, frenzied experience. Many people grow up in churches where they hear a pastor. I talked to a guy this past week, in fact. And I can't remember who it was, so I can say this without any, any face in my mind. He said, yeah, my pastor... Actually, I just remembered who it was. At the, at the hospital. At the hospital. And I'm sitting down next to this veteran. And we're just talking, and we end up talking about the Lord and asking, where you go to church? And he says, I got this guy who pastors my church. And I said, well, is he, is he good? Do you like him? Do you like your church? He said, yeah, he's pretty good. He said, every now and then, he'll get, boy, he'll get wound up and he'll say, I'm in the spirit now. My question is, was he not in the spirit before? Does getting loud mean I'm in the spirit? Does me shouting at you mean that I'm in the spirit? When Elijah was in the cave, what did, what, how did God speak to him? Was it in the hurricane or the earthquake? Was it in the fire? Was it in the storm or was it in the still... Small voice. So let's not buy into this idea. And I'm not saying that the spirit might not work you up into that frenzy. I'm not saying. But here's what I'm saying. That's not the only thing it means to be in the spirit. Some denominations teach this. But the Greek actually says it is not permanent. Why? Because you have to continually come back to God for more. Not permanent. To be saved over again, but to be filled. Listen, there is a difference between the Spirit in you and the Spirit on you. The Scripture is clear about that. The Spirit is in you because He seals you in Christ when you trust Him. But listen, if you resist Him, He cannot fill you. We must be surrendering ourselves to the Father. Check out Galatians 5, and 23. Paul fleshes out the Spirit-filled life. Does he anywhere in there say, You're loud, you're hollering, you're yelling, you're sweating, you're spitting, you're growling. No. What does he say? That it doesn't necessarily consist of hyperactive wild frenzies, but it's love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, love, self, what? Control. So we have this idea sometimes that I'm not really in the Spirit if I'm not out of control. Is that in God's Word? No, it's not. Second, to be filled with the Spirit is not the same thing as the baptism of God. The Spirit. Scripture teaches the baptism of the Spirit is this. It is the work whereby the Spirit of God places you as a believer into union with Jesus Christ and union with other believers in the body of Christ at the moment of your salvation. The baptism of the Spirit means this. Just like when you're baptized in water, you're immersed in water. When you come to Jesus Christ and you walk away from your sin and you say to Him, Yes, I want you to be my Savior. You are immersed with the Spirit of God. You are indwelt with the Spirit of God. So no one lives a life of constant joy. Right? Amen? Did all of you, the last seven days since we met, did you live a life of constant, perfect joy? Were you happy about everything? Were you at peace about everything? Were you loving to everybody you interacted with? Were you patient? All the parents say no. (laughs) Were you self-controlled? No. Does that mean the Spirit stopped living in you? Not at all. The Spirit may be in you, but listen... The Spirit needs to come on you and fill you. That's a different thing altogether. Third, it is not only for all-star caliber Christians. There's an idea today, listen to me, that only the people up front, the guy in the sport coat, the lady singing the song, the person doing the, the children's sermon, the people taking the offering, that they're the only ones. Or the guy headlining the conference. That is not the teaching of the Word of God. The filling of the Spirit is for everybody who is in Jesus Christ. You say, where do you see that? Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. To the whole congregation. He says, to all of you who are in Christ. I don't care if you're 5 or you're 95. You can be filled with the Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? The Spirit. What does that look like? Let me give you a few things. Number one here, I'm going to use this illustration of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I found this tremendously helpful from John MacArthur. What is this thing right here? What is that? Doug knows what that is. Doug knows what that is. Doug's our resident baseball expert. Well, I've asked Chet to help me with something here. Don't, don't let me hit anybody. Watch out now. All right, what does Chet got right there in his hand? Don't put it on yet. Don't put it on yet. What's Chet got, everybody? Wake up. What's Chet got? Chet's got a glove. Very good. Can that glove do anything on its own? No. No. What does that glove need to function according to its design? A hand, right? I had no idea Chet was going to bring that balloon. I mean, that glove this morning. All right? That glove needs a hand to fill it. Otherwise, guess what it just does? It lays out in my shed and stays cold or hot, depending on the weather, all year long. Right? You have to have someone to catch it. I brought a ball here. We're gonna get serious now. Now everybody's really paying attention because no one wants to get hit. I'm not gonna hit the babies. I promise. All right. So if if that glove is laying on the ground right there, is it gonna catch this ball? No. If Chet's hand is filling that glove, is it hopefully gonna catch the ball? <laughs> the answer is yeah. yes. All right, Chet, get ready. Here it comes. Your hands like the size of the three. <laughs> All right. Bad toss. Bad toss. Let's try it. We got got to redeem that one more time here. Is Chet's hand and glove going to hopefully catch the ball? All right. Here we go. There we go. All right. All right. You guys give Chet a hand. Right. That glove is designed for a purpose. It does one thing and one thing well. It catches a baseball But it cannot do what it was designed and created and crafted to do unless something is filling it that is controlling it and leading it and guiding it. That's how God designed you. If you're a Christian, he did not design you to be that glove laying around empty and and weak. He designed you to be filled with the Spirit so that you can do everything that God wants you to do in your life. Moving along. Galatians 5. I love this. Galatians 5.19. You can turn back a page or two and track with me if you want to. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. If you look at Galatians 5, and verse 19, it talks about the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. Pretty ugly, right? Listen to the works of the flesh. These are things we do when we're in the flesh. Sexual immorality. Moral impurity. Promiscuity. Idolatry. Sorcery. Hatred. Strife. Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. That's a pretty ugly list, isn't it? You notice Paul calls those works. Why? Because when we're in our flesh, they are works. It is what we do. Contrast that with the word Paul uses in verse 22. But the what of the Spirit. Does it say the works of the Spirit? No. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. So that when Paul uses that different word, what he's saying is when you're filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit, what is produced in your life are the fruits of the Spirit. Think about this. Does fruit do anything to grow itself? Have you ever passed by an apple tree and you heard this strange noise and it's going... And out pops an apple. No. No. Now, all of you are laughing, but you've never heard that. I don't care how old you are. You've never passed by an apple tree where you've seen it writhing and struggling and fighting itself, and then out pops an apple. It doesn't work like that. What happens? The sap flows up through the trunk, and it flows out into the branches. And as it flows out, over time, as that sap has its effect, that controlling influence over the tree, what is produced? Something sweet. It's called fruit. As the Holy Spirit fills you, as you surrender to Him and He fills you and controls you, you know what happens in your life. You may not even realize it. Pop, 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 pop. All this fruit begins to show up in your love. You become more loving. Joy. You become more at peace with your circumstances around you. You become more patient even though before you lost your patience with a guy on Highway 70 who was going 28 miles an hour. That happened to me this past week. Right? Right? You become more of who like Christ is because the spirit of Christ fills you and indwells you. Let me give you one more thing. You ever see an apple tree eating its own fruit? No. That fruit's produced for who? Others. That tree does not produce the fruit for itself. It produces the fruit so that it can provide and supply others with that spiritual fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Tony Marita is very helpful here. He says that even though Paul offers no formula for us in following, uh, to follow and being filled with the Spirit, we can point out a few things. I'll point those out quickly. Number one, believe in God. That sounds so simple. But the fruit of the Spirit comes into your life as you walk in faith and you trust Jesus Christ every single day. I read 1 Peter this morning. Most of it. And there's this one verse there in the middle of the letter where it talks about Jesus did not... Fuss back at anybody. This is my translation. Hit my paraphrase. He did not fuss back at anybody, but he entrusted himself to the God who is just. He believed in God. Romans fifteen says, "May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so you may overflow with hope." By the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. We don't believe on Christ for salvation. And then just quit after that. We walk in faith. Second. Be careful not to grieve the Spirit of God. In the same way that you can grieve someone that you love by the wrong you say and do. You can grieve the Spirit of God. Please hear me on this one. Don't miss this point. When we walk in sin. And we don't turn away from that sin. We are grieving the Spirit of God. When we continue to rush headlong away from Him, even though His Spirit wants to lead us and control us, we grieve Him. Here's a good question. Is what I'm about to do going to please the Spirit of God or grieve and sadden Him? Number three. Last one. This is a biggie. Colossians 3 and verse 16. It says, Let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. What does that mean? Take a little New Testament and put it in your pocket? What do the Psalms say? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Dwell on the word of Christ richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This is a true statement. Don't miss this. When we set our hearts and minds on the word, listen to me, when you start your day in the word, And you you meditate on the Word of God throughout. Or you keep that radio station playing those Christian songs. When you meditate on the Word of God throughout the day. Listen. You create an inward spiritual environment. Where the Holy Spirit is welcome and right at home. The opposite is also true. When we fill our minds. And our hearts. And our eyes. And our hands. With things that don't please God. We are creating an environment where the Holy Spirit is not welcome. I know that's a lot. I want to close with this quote from D.L. Moody. And then I invite you to follow the Spirit's leading as you respond this morning. Listen to this quote. This is a lengthy quote, but it's good. Listen to it. Moody says, we are leaky vessels. Amen. We are leaky vessels. And we have to keep right under the fountain all the time. To keep full of Christ. And to have a fresh supply. I believe this is a mistake a great many of us are making. We are trying to do God's work with the grace that God gave us ten years ago. Ow. Moody says, now what we lack is a fresh supply. A fresh anointing and fresh power. And if we seek it and seek it with all our hearts, we will obtain it. I firmly believe, listen to this church, hear this. I firmly believe that the church has just laid this knowledge aside, mislaid it somewhere. And so Christians are without power. And if they were only anointed about the Spirit of God, Moody says, there would be great power. I'm gonna ask you a question this morning. As we conclude. Have you ever wondered what's missing in your life? You ever walked through a period of time in your Christian journey? And you just felt like, man, I'm, I'm just empty. I'm just shot full of holes, man. The world has just shot me full of holes. My sin has shot me full of holes. My struggles have shot me full of holes. I am just, I'm just—I'm leaking everywhere. Listen to me. Every person in this place, we're all made of the same flesh. And we are all leaky vessels, like Moody says. And if we have laid this teaching aside that, call, that Paul calls us to be filled with the Spirit, if we've laid that teaching aside, guess what we're going to do? We're going to live our lives in our own power. And all the works of the flesh that we just read... We're going to see them all over the map of our lives. If you want to see the, the fruit of the Spirit produced in your life. Remain in Christ. Let Him remain in you. And watch what happens. It might be this morning you need to come stand under the fountain. And seek a fresh anointing of the Spirit of God on you. Because He lives in you and He wants to work through you. But some of you in this place may say, I don't have the Holy Spirit living in my heart. Nobody's ever told me that before. I didn't know that I could have that kind of power living within me eternally until the day that I step in His presence. If that's you, listen, you will never experience the power of the Spirit of God unless He's living in your heart, indwelling you, sealing you permanently in your life. We must receive Christ. And then, what's the command? Be filled. Be filled. Today, let him fill you. Surrender to him. It's not a suggestion. Let's pray.